0: Good morning. If you've been joining us online during the last few months, it's great to have you with us. Today we're concluding our series called The Scandal of Grace. You know those days where you remember exactly where you were? Maybe if you're a Take That fan, you remember a time when Gary Barlow or Robbie Williams came to your town and you camped outside ...waiting to see them. I did that when I was younger, not admittedly for Take That... ...but for various other obscure musicians that I looked up to. It's that experience of waiting to catch a glimpse of some hero... ...or celebrity, or maybe when you've had an opportunity to go and see the Queen. It's the thing that is so out of the ordinary that it sticks in your memory... Well, it was that kind of day when Jesus passed through Jericho. Now, what was uh, significant about Jericho? Well, we're going to look at another story of grace today that uh, that happened in that place. Um, Jericho was the first city that the Israelites conquered when they crossed the River Jordan and entered the Promised Land. It was only around six miles from Jerusalem on a trade route, and it was a prosperous place referred to as the City of Palms. And Jesus is passing through. People had heard about this man. Was he a rabbi or a rabble rouser? A saint or a sinner? Was he some kind of con artist or the Son of God? These are the kind of questions that were swirling around. They said that he'd performed miraculous healings. Some said that they'd never heard teaching like this before. And words started to get around Jericho that Jesus was passing through. You can imagine the buzz in the crowd. He's been sighted on the road. People jostling for position. The crowd's already six people deep either side of the road. You'll never get close to him. So let's see uh, what Luke's description is of what happened that day in Luke chapter 19. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief Today, So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This man, Zacchaeus, was a chief tax collector. What did that mean? Well, Israel was under Roman occupation. And the Roman system for collecting taxes was to appoint tax collectors from that nation. These tax collectors would go from house to house and business to business, collecting tax from their own people on behalf of this enemy occupier. It was the cultural equivalent of being a traffic warden or a loan shark. Tax collectors were despised by everyone. That's why you get comments about Jesus. They said things like, He hangs out with tax collectors and sinners, the dodgy people. Zacchaeus was the kind of person that respectable people avoid. One of Jesus' disciples, Matthew, whose Hebrew name was Levi, was also a tax collector. But Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. That means he had other people working for him, collecting tax. Each tax collector would get money from people um, and then take a cut for themselves. If If you've got a wad of cash from someone, take a bit for yourself and then give the rest to the Romans. But Zacchaeus likely would have been taking an additional cut as well from all of his tax collectors who worked for him, and he would have got rich from it, especially in a prosperous town like Jericho. Like everyone else, Zacchaeus had heard the stories about Jesus, and he wanted to see him for himself. Other people might have come out with their family or friends, uh, and it would have been an exciting community event to see this kind of uh, celebrity coming through their town. But Zacchaeus came alone. And being alone and being short, he couldn't catch a glimpse through the crowd. There were too many people. And because people despised and detested him, he couldn't catch a glimpse through the crowd. No one was going to say, oh, you know, come through so you get a good view, or I'll give you a leg up um, onto that wall so you can see. So Zacchaeus climbed a tree, not a very dignified thing to do for a chief tax collector, but I guess that reveals something of his desperation to see Jesus. So up he climbs in a place where he expected Jesus to pass by, and that's what happened. But rather than just Walking past, Jesus stops and he looks right up at Zacchaeus. And he says this in verse 5. Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and he received Jesus joyfully. He's been picked out from all those people In the crowd, and Jesus was coming to his house. And it was probably one of the finest houses in Jericho. Sometimes we can tend to think that Jesus only comes to the poorest and the most vulnerable, and he does love to move towards those people. But he's come for everyone, he comes to the wealthy and the privileged as well. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a fascinating picture of grace? We can look down on people who have less than us and discriminate against them, whether we realize it or not. But you know what? And I do this sometimes. We can discriminate against people who, because they have money and power, why should I have compassion for them? They've got wealth And privilege and status. And that position of status and privilege is where Zacchaeus finds himself. But he's lacking so much. He needs grace as much as anyone. And do you know what? Jesus doesn't discriminate at all. He communicates a love and an acceptance and a desire to engage with everyone. Now that should give you hope today. It certainly encourages me. You see, if there'd been a vote about who most deserved to have Jesus round for tea, I think Zacchaeus would have been near the bottom of the list. At the top of the list, you'd have the kind people, the people who loved God and lived holy lives. They're the ones who deserve to get some time with Jesus. But Jesus wants to hang out with Zacchaeus. He says to him, I must stay at your house today. In that culture, inviting yourself round to someone's house was a way of honouring them. In our westernised culture, it's the other way round. You honour someone by inviting them over to your house. Jesus is choosing to spend time with this traitor, this tax collector, who's a traitor to his whole community, and the people are not happy. I can't believe it. Surely not. He must have him confused with someone else. He must be confusing him with that other Zacchaeus, who's a really lovely guy. He helps old ladies across the road. Uh, He does charity work. He can't seriously mean this Zacchaeus, that snake in the grass. Why would he go to his house? It says in verse 7, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. And they said, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. What does this tell us? It tells us that they didn't really know Jesus because they didn't know how he treated everyone. And they didn't understand the gospel of grace. You see, they thought it was related to performance and merit. Well, if you're good enough then maybe he'll meet with you. And hey, don't we view all of life like that? We think, oh, if I'm good enough, I'll get that job. If I'm nice enough, maybe they'll be kind to me. Jesus has a totally different social economy. You see, we just can't help it. We judge people based on how they appear. You know, what shirt is Ben wearing today? Or they look a bit scruffy how people appear, how they act, and then we treat them accordingly. But Jesus does the exact opposite. He doesn't judge people based on externals, and he doesn't treat people as their sins deserve. He treats them according to his heart, not theirs. That's his social economy. It's like he's saying to us, because he's the son of God, because he's got himself, because he's full of love, and he's made all these people in his image, and he loves them, and he wants to do them good. It doesn't matter who they are or how they act. He's going to treat them on the basis of who he is. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that good news today? And Jesus' heart is full of love and compassion. It was full of love and compassion for Zacchaeus, and it's full of love and compassion for you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, there is a God who is full of love for you and wants to come and meet with you today. Philip Yancey, the author and speaker, wrote that grace, like water, flows to the lowest part. Grace always finds its way to the bottom, to the people who are most in need, the least and the lowliest. Isn't that a wonderful picture of grace? And as Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You don't really grasp grace until you've desperately needed it. There was a time in my life when I'd made a massive mistake. Do you know that feeling when you've messed up badly and the sin that you've committed means you know you deserve the consequences that are coming and whatever punishment is coming your way. But when I messed up, I was treated with grace. I didn't get the punishment that I deserved, and that's mercy. Um, I got what I didn't deserve, which is grace, Through that experience, I really did get to understand what grace is. I recognised that I fall far short of the acceptable standard before a holy God. But God's grace in Christ closes that gap for me. Charles Spurgeon said in one of his sermons, I do not know when I am more perfectly happy than when I am weeping for sin at the foot of the cross. Isn't that amazing? He understood the helpless wonder of grace, knowing that there's nothing you can do to make up for sin that separates you from a holy God, but accepting that God has freely done it for you without any merit of yours, God himself paid the punishment for sin. Jesus, a short while after this encounter with Zacchaeus, was executed on a Roman cross. He was innocent, yet he was beaten, punished, and died. In Hebrews 12, it talks about Jesus enduring the cross for the joy set before him. Part of his joy in that moment was knowing that he was taking the punishment for sin that Zacchaeus deserved. Hanging there on that cross, Christ was looking back to this day when salvation came to Zacchaeus. But he was also looking ahead, knowing that he was taking the punishment that you and I Deserve. It was all meted out on Jesus. He took it for us. And that was the joy that was before Him, even as He endured the agony of the cross. Whenever I mess up, which I do all the time, just ask my family, especially during lockdown, you know, where does Ben get it wrong? They'll give you numerous examples. Like when I'm judgmental of others when I'm too harsh in my responses, when I'm selfish, when I'm proud, when I'm frustrated. My tendency is to always fall back onto myself, to think, I'll try better. I'll try not to do those things. But grace teaches us that we need to come to God first and find forgiveness in Jesus, in his incredible mercy and infinite grace then God's grace will bear fruit in our lives so that we actually desire to live differently. That is the order of grace. We need to receive God's grace first, and then the change comes. It's from the inside out. Changed heart, and then changed behavior. Don't try to change first and score points with God it will not work. You won't be able to do it. Your external behavior might be different for a little while, but if your heart isn't changed, then it just won't last. Don't just keep the rules, but receive grace from God. Then you can overflow with that same love and grace through the power of God's Holy Spirit at work in your life. If you look back with me to the previous chapter of Luke, we see a fascinating contrast between Zacchaeus and another wealthy person. In Luke 18 verse 18, a rich ruler comes to Jesus and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him to keep commandments like, do not steal, murder, or commit adultery. And he says, yeah, yeah, I've kept all those. Then... Here's the kicker. Jesus tells him to sell all he has and to give to the poor. And we're told that the rich ruler goes away sad. Jesus comments on how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. He says it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Or you think of like the doorway to eternal life and heaven with God. You think if you try and carry all your worldly possessions, you know, your favorite books. I think of all my CDs that I've accumulated over the years. Imagine carrying it all in your arms, but then trying to get through this doorway. It won't go. We have to let go of all those things and commit fully and with all our hearts to God. This uh, rich ruler is a bit like the older brother from the par- parable of the prodigal son that we looked at earlier in this series. He's kept all the rules, you know, all the commandments, just like this rich ruler, but he hasn't been captured by grace. We see it again earlier in chapter 18 in the parable of the self righteous Pharisee. Do you remember the one who prays, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these others? And then the humble tax collector who stands to the side with his head bowed, a bit like Charles Spurgeon. Oh, have mercy on me, God. Jesus says it's that tax collector who will be justified. Look at Zacchaeus' response to Jesus when Jesus comes to his house. We don't know when he said this, whether it was in front of the crowd or at his home, just talking to Jesus. But he declares that he'll give half of what he has to the poor and pay back four times the amount to anyone he's defrauded. I don't think Zacchaeus made restitution in a grudging way, in a miserly way like Scrooge. I think he did it joyfully. I don't think he just said it to Jesus while secretly hoping that he could avoid paying anyone back. I think he would have thought, I'm going to seek out every single person that I've cheated. I'll pay them back four times the amount to demonstrate God's grace to them. And then maybe I can tell them about how Jesus has changed my life. Jewish law prescribed paying back the amount and adding 20%. 20%. What Zacchaeus is committing to is 400%. So if he overtaxed someone by say the equivalent of 5 pounds rather than paying uh, rather than paying back uh, adding a pound, so paying back someone 6 pounds, which is what is expected by Jewish law, he said he'd pay back 400%, so 5, 10, 15, 20. I mean, it's extravagant restitution. And if he'd defrauded a lot of people, which is likely, it would have equated to a lot of money. He's already committed to pay half of his money to the poor. And again, it shows how wealthy he is, but also how much his heart has been changed. Often, the more that you have, the more you want to keep hold of it. But with grace, it's the opposite. The more you receive, the more you want to give away. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7. He says this, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I think Christians should be at the forefront of redistribution of wealth to the poor. Out of everything that we receive, we should be very generous in giving away. One of the best ways that you can do this is by giving to your local church. If you call City Church home, then By giving regularly, you're investing in our vision of helping Bristol believe. And a key part of that is serving people who are poor and disadvantaged. Another thing that you can do is give personally and directly to individuals. Is there someone that you could bless this week? Rather than selling on something, uh, could you just give it away? Could you forgo a luxury or a treat this month and give that money to fair share or a food bank. I know for me, I want to be more generous towards God and more generous towards other people. Not just doing what is the minimal, uh, acceptable amount, you know, kind of like fulfilling our duty. Remember, These things don't make us righteous before God. We can't earn our salvation or make God love us more. But when you know God loves you, when you've experienced his grace, when you understand all that he's lavished on you that you don't deserve, then your heart will be moved to act likewise, to emulate God's grace in your own life. So let's bring it into land. That's exactly what had happened to Zacchaeus. He was radically changed by grace. He experienced the incredible love of God in his life. And what we've learned from just looking at this simple passage of Scripture is that Jesus hasn't come to find the goody goodies, the ones who are holy, or the spiritual superstars. He says himself in verse 10, he's come to seek and to save the lost. And that stands in total contrast to the values of our culture. Our culture would view Zacchaeus, before he encountered Jesus, as a success story. He's rich, he's got it going on, he's probably got a great house, he's got a great job. But Zacchaeus was lost. He was cut off from the community of God's people and most importantly, from relationship with God himself. So what about you? Where do you stand today? Are you lost and you need to come home? Or are you like the crowd, wanting to get a look at Jesus but not really understanding who he is what he's done, or what grace really means for you. Philip Yancey defines it beautifully in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? He says this, Grace means there's nothing I can do to make God love me more and nothing I can do to make God love me less. It means that I, even I, who deserve the opposite, I am invited to take my place at the table in God's family. God invites you to take your place at the table with Him. This is as simple as you saying, Jesus, I'm lost. I need grace. I need salvation. Whether you're asking for the very first time or the 10,000th time, It doesn't matter because his grace is enough for you. In a few moments, we're going to share bread and wine together as a demonstration that by faith we're part of God's family sharing a meal together. Jamie's going to lead us in that in a few minutes. But I'll pray now and then we'll sing together. Father, I thank you for the scandal of grace. It's outrageous that you treat people with such love and kindness. I thank you that you've treated me with such grace. I thank you that this extravagant grace is available to anyone who simply believes you and by faith receives what you offer. I pray for anyone today who is struggling to accept the scandal of grace. Holy Spirit, draw near to them. Help them to believe. And help each one of us to be filled by your Spirit. Fill our hearts that they would be changed and that we would live lives full of grace. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.